Welcome to History Class After Hours. I am Joseph Barra, and joining me once again is Wes. Hello there. And Brian Manning the board. Hi. Producer <laughs> yep. and all. Well, they were talking about the Barbary Wars. Barbary. 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 Did I, they fight like uh, Barbie or barbarians or neither? I just thought that. I don't know what that even means. <laughs> it's been a long day. All right. So the Barbary states are uh, four states in North Africa. Uh, Tunis, Algiers, Morocco, and Tripoli. So technically they were part of the Ottoman Empire. Um, so this is all taking place early 1800s. They actually go back farther than that. But anyway, they're loosely tied to the Ottoman Empire, but they're so far removed from the, Ottoman the Ottomans Empire. that the Ottomans are just like, hey, uh, we're going to practice solitary neglect on you guys. You guys just make us money. and you don't, We don't care how you make it. Just make us money, and then we'll leave you alone. You can do whatever you want to do. Keep all your stuff. Just make us money. The so they turn to piracy, sense. of course. Um, and that is how they are going to make their money. <laughs> Geographically speaking, being in North Africa, it gave them a prime prime seat to be a pirate because there was a lot of trade going through the Mediterranean, and especially with like Morocco, that's right at the tip of the Strait of Gibraltar. That's a choke point. Everything's got to go through there. It's pretty easy to seize vessels. Um, so for years, they preyed primarily on European shipping that was moving past the Strait of Gibraltar. However, their reach was as far as Brazil and north as Iceland. So they had they hit a lot of areas. That's here. a big pirate ring. That is a big pirate ring. Um, problem is the type of ship they used wasn't really good in the open seas. <laughs> it was long, flat, and top-heavy. Ah. So a lot of times they're going to stick close to shore of North Africa. Uh, in 1662, England made a deal with the pirates. They would believe they believed it would be cheaper in the long run to make annual payments to the pirates rather than waging war on them. They took in the, the they when they were considering paying the ransom, the cost they looked at, the cost of marine insurance, having to pay that, the cost of losing ships, the cost of losing goods, the cost of paying ransom uh, for and paying ransom for sailors. And they basically said, all right. Us just paying them the ransom to leave us alone, we'll make money in the long run because the cost of losing the boats, the goods, and the sailors is going to add up. They were actually more just concerned with the boats and the goods. They said the sailors can always be replaced. We can't replace the boats and the goods. Well, they're not wrong. That's kind of the, the mindset they're going at. Many other nations in Europe are going to follow suit. Uh, these nations would soon realize, though, that the pirates really didn't always uphold their end of their deal. So they'd be like, here. Here's some ransom. Leave us alone. And pirates were like, sure. Let's spend the money. Start piracy again. Here's another ransom. Okay. And it's just kind of like this endless cycle. It's like um, they're like a, the mob. Yeah, kind of. Like protection. Protection, right. Yeah. Uh, they'd been seizing American colonist ships as early as 1640s. Um, in 1777, though, during the American Revolution, the Sultan of Morocco would proclaim that merchant ships of the new American nation would be under the protection of the Sultanate. So, for the most part, there's a brief little period where American ships aren't being seized. Um, it's going to be called the, the Moroccan-American Treaty of Friendship, which is one of the <laughs> oldest treaties in the United States. It's still in, intact today. It's, it's still in effect? It's still in effect. 
Uh, Morocco is going to be the second country to recognize the United States. Isn't is was Morocco a French colony? I believe they have French ties. Okay. Yes, I think it was a French colony. Not yet, though. No. Oh, so the Ottoman after the Ottomans yeah. collapsed, the French. Okay. I think so. Okay. Starting in the 1780s, realizing that American vessels were no longer under the protection of the British Navy, the other Barbary states began terrorizing American ships in the Mediterranean. Uh, as the U.S. had disbanded its Continental Navy for some reason, <laughs> uh, they had no seagoing military force. The government agreed in 1786 that paying tribute uh, was the way to go to stop the attacks. <laughs> On March 20th, 1794, at the urging of President George Washington, Congress voted to authorize the building of six heavy frigates and establish the United States Navy in order to stop these attacks and demands for more and more money. This is where we get such classic ships as the USS Constitution, the Constellation, the Congress, the President, my favorite, the USUS. We named the both <laughs> the United States. So it's the USUS. We're really good with names. We're really good with names. I forgot what the other one is. There's one other one I forgot. It's it's something dumb. I don't and they I don't know why they went with only two branches of the government. They went with the Congress, the president. I don't know why didn't they have like the U.S. judge? That would have been cooler than the U.S. U.S. I mean, what are they doing they, here? They could they could sink a ship and say you've been judged. That'd, yeah, I could have a little tagline. That'd be awesome. Um, so the United States had signed treaties with all the Barbary states after its independence was recognized between 1786 and 94 uh, to pay tribute in exchange for leaving American merchantmen alone. But by 1797, the U.S. had paid out $1.25 million, which equated to one-fifth of the government's budget. We wonder why we have such a large national debt. That's insane. One-fifth of your budget is going to paying <laughs> pirates. Uh, these demands for tribute had imposed a heavy financial drain, and by 1799, the U.S. was in debt of $140,000 to Algiers, and some $150,000 triply because we couldn't pay off the bribery thing that we were doing. Many Americans obviously resented these payments, arguing that the money would be better spent on a Navy that would protect the American ships from attacks of the Barbary pirates. And in the 1800 presidential election, Thomas Jefferson won against incumbent President John Adams, in part by noting that the United States was subjected to the spoliations of foreign cruisers and was humiliated by paying an enormous tribute to the petty tyrant of Algiers. And this is going to help lead to what we will call the Barbary Wars. So just before Jefferson's inauguration in 1801, Congress passed naval legislation that would basically provide those six new ships to fight against piracy. They said, they shall be offered and manned as the President of the United States may direct. They continued that in the event of a declaration of war against the Barbary pirates, these ships were to protect our commerce and chase their insolence by sinking, burning, or destroying their ships and vessels wherever you shall find them. So pretty much search and destroy. Search and destroy. The day Jefferson was inaugurated, the leader of Tripoli would demand $225,000 from him. <laughs> Jefferson refused. Next day, Tripoli declared war on the United States. <laughs> now, they did not so make a formal declaration. Because that was against their custom. So typically, you send a letter to the government saying, we formally declare war on you. What they did is, they went to our consulate 
in Tripoli. They cut down the flagpole and burned the flag. I guess that meant the declaration of war. Yeah. So you make some Americans angry. Algiers and and Tunis would not follow suit. Um, So pretty much this is just Tripoli against the United States because Morocco is still upholding their their friendship agreement. Before the U.S. had received the news of the declaration, they had sent several ships under the command of Richard Dale to bring gifts to try and maintain the peace. He was told, however, that hostilities broke out to protect the American ships in the area. Although Congress never formally declared war, they did give Jefferson the authority to use whatever means necessary, seize all vessels and goods at Tripoli. So that's like the first instance of the War Powers Act being instituted. Yeah. It's kind of like a Gulf of Tonkin. It is. It's, like it's almost very exactly similar like to the Gulf, Gulf of Tonkin. Tonkin. And then now I know where the Swedes help us. Not hey, sure how. Swedish. Everything I've come across, everything says the Swedes will align themselves with the United States. And every time I look for what they did, I can't find anything. But all I know is they're helping <laughs> the out. Sweet, one the Swedes saw another. we were fighting pirates. So they said, hey, we support you. And that's the well, they were having issues with Swedes. Uh, the Swedes were having issues with pirates as well. But I'm not sure what. Yeah, they said they said that they were helping. All right. So the war itself boils down to several events. Uh, the first one, the schooner, the Enterprise is going to take on the Barbary Corsair, the Tripoli. Um, the Enterprise was commanded by Lieutenant Andrew Sterrett. He encountered the uh, Tripoli west of Malta and prepared for engagement. After a three-hour battle and false surrenders by Tripoli's commander, Amorace Mahat Rus, uh, brought, uh, the Enterprise broadsided his vessel. Admitting defeat, he threw the triple, the triple, I can't say that word, the Tripolitian? The Tripolitian? Tripolitian? The flag of Tripoli. The flag. There we go. That makes it a lot easier. Into the sea, admitting defeat. This success of the battle inspired the United States to continue the war against the Barbary States. And then you get the frigate Constellation, one of the six. One of the six. One of the six big, big boats, six. which I learned today. I did not know this. The wood to build those those boats came from St. Simon's Island. Oh, that's cool. They used a live oak because it was extremely dense and that the way it, does, it naturally um, grows, grows yeah. in like a 45-degree angle meant that the wood was stronger because it didn't have to mold or shape it. It just yeah. had that natural form. I did not know that. Learned that today. All right. So the Constellation takes on several Corsair gunboats. If you don't know what a gunboat is, it's a rowboat with a cannon on the front of it. And, well, the Constellation easily defeats those. A little side note on the Constellation. In, like, the mid-1800s, so the Constellation is currently anchored in Baltimore Harbor. Yeah. All right. And a lot of people think that's the original Constellation. It is not. Because in the mid-1800s, the government said it cost too much money, so they burnt it down. And then there was such a public uproar over it, they rebuilt it and just told people, it broke and we fixed it. See, it's still here. And it wasn't until like 1990 that people real that it was figured out that it wasn't the actual boat. It was the a remake. The government duped the entire populace. I was like, what is going on here? But anyway, so that's not the original constellation. Um, so one of the big events of the war is going to be with the frigate Philadelphia. Um, it runs aground in Tripoli, which means it hit a sandbar and it got stuck. Um, what's going to happen is some of the pirates from Tripoli are going to send a large gunboat to attack the frigate as it was beached. Uh, they stuck. They, it, it basically started listing. It was stuck. 
It got captured. They tied ropes to it. They were able to pull it out, and they put it in Tripoli Harbor. This is a great embarrassment to the United States. Not only one was our ship stolen, but they also took captive the crew members and sold them into slavery. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. So then they're like, all right, we got to figure out how to get our boat back. So what they're first going to do is a guy by the name of Stephen Decatur, who's a lieutenant, uh, he's going to take the Enterprise, and they are going to capture a Turkish ship called the Mystico. Um, they're then going to put an English flag on it. They're going to sail into the harbor of Tripoli at night and basically say, our boat's broke. Can we come in here and fix it? And since British was the English were paying off the pirates that ransom, that was fine. Well, reality, the cater is on there with uh, servicemen from the United States. They anchor up next to the Philadelphia. They then board it and light it on fire. <laughs> they really did not like these boats. They didn't want the Philadelphia in the hands of the pirates because it was bigger, faster, and had more gunpowder. Now, I'm not sure if they're on the boat. Why didn't they just seize the boat? Because they didn't think about that. They didn't think about <laughs> it. Uh, England's Lord Nelson called this the most daring act of the age. Uh, Decatur is going to come back a hero to the United States, so much so that there is a city in Georgia named after him. And then he is going to die in a duel. What was he doing? Oh, he was dying. He he dueled against this like old drunk man. It was after the War of eighteen twelve, <laughs> and the old drunk man was like court martialed for cowardice because he gave up his boat. Uh-huh. And then they allowed the old drunk man in the navy again, and he's like, I should still be admiral. And the caterer's <laughs> like, No, you can't be admiral. You were just court martialed. He's like, Ah, you shame my honor. I challenge you to a duel. And everyone was like. Decatur, this is dumb. He's like, I got it. And then they had a duel and he got like shot in the hip and bled out or something. And yeah, Navy was having some issues with duels. Yeah. They were saying more men were dying of dueling than they were actual war. (laughs) Well, it's the Navy. What else? It was bad. All right. Um, So then you actually get Tripoli. So the United States is blockading the port of Tripoli. The city is fortified. They want to take the city. You get a bunch of excursions where uh, Tripolian ships are trying to get out of the harbor, and then we sink them, and then some get out, and we chase them, and then we sink them, and blah, 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 blah. But um, what's going to happen is they are going to try to get to Tripoli by land now. They can't get to it by the sea. They're going to try to take a long route to go get to Tripoli. All right. And what's going to happen is they are going to send a guy by the name of William Eaton on this mission. All right. So first, Eaton is going to go to Egypt. Um, He is going to find a guy whose name is Hamet Karamanli, who is the rightful heir to the throne of Tripoli. Hamet had been disposed earlier by his brother, Yusuf, who's now in charge. Yusuf had already assassinated their older brother by shooting him in front of their mother. <laughs> Sounds like an outstanding guy. He invited his brother to dinner and just like shot him in the face as mom was sitting there. Stand up citizen right yeah. there. So Hammett was out of the country at the time and he wasn't allowed to come back. So he is pretty much exiled in Egypt. 
Eaton's going to find Hammett in Egypt where he's going to say, listen, I got this idea. We got the harbor blockaded. We're going to come in through the, the back way over land, and then we're going to restore you as king. Hammett's like, I like this idea. I really like this idea. Eaton was given the use of three ships. One was commanded by Oliver Hazard Perry, who gets fame in the War of 1812. Listen to that episode. The other was Isaac Hall, who will be the commander of the USS Constitution during the War of 1812. Uh, Eaton was also given nine Marines for the mission. Hey, yeah, a lot with nine Marines. Nine Marines. <laughs> That's a, a lot of manpower there. Uh, he is then going to get the help of 400 Greek and Arab mercenaries. So in March of 1805, Eaton would begin his 500-mile hike across the Libyan desert <laughs> to try to get to Tripoli. The goal was to first reach the town of Dirna, where they would get supplies. But during the 50-day journey, Eaton became worried that the Greek and Arab mercenaries would begin fighting because of their religious differences. And he wasn't wrong. They began <laughs> fighting. Uh, the expedition supplies were also dwindling, with Ian reporting in 1805, our only provisions are a handful of rice and two biscuits a day. At one point, some of the Arabs in the ex expedition made a desperate attempt to raid the supply wagon, but were beaten back by one of the nine Marines <laughs> and a few Greek artillerymen uh, who had the lone cannon in the expedition. Remember this. One it's going to come back and play. The cannon came off a boat. Oh. One of the three boats lent, lent them a cannon. There were several attempts at mutiny, all which failed, but eventually the expedition reaches Derna, where the three American ships, the Argus, Nautilus, and Hornet, were waiting. There, the mercenaries were paid, and everybody was resupplied. On the morning of April 26th, Eaton sent a letter to Mustafa Bey, who was the governor of Derna, to ask for safe passage through the city and more supplies. Eaton knew that basically he wasn't going to allow that, and he was right. Mustafa reportedly wrote back, my head or yours? Wow. Didn't really answer the question. That, but uh, He didn't say no. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. He just, this weird statement. My head or yours? <laughs> I don't know. That could mean a lot of things. So on the morning of April 27th, Eaton observed a fort in Derna with eight guns. The brig USS Argus sent a cannon ashore to help with the attack. Captain's Hall ships then opened fire and bombarded Derna's batteries for an hour. Meanwhile, Eaton divided his army into two separate attack parties. Hammett was to lead the Arab mercenaries southwest to cut the road to Tripoli, then attack the city's left flank. Eaton, with the rest of the mercenaries, those were the Greek mercenaries and the nine Marines, would attack the harbor fortress. Hall and the ships would fire on the heavily defended port batteries. Attack began at 245 with Lieutenant O'Bannon and his mar uh, Marines leading the advance. O'Bannon led his Marines and 50 Greek gunners with the field piece that they had from the Argus, but the gun's effectiveness was lessened after the firing crew forgot to take the ramrod out of the barrel, oh. and they shot it downrange. So if you don't know what this means, to load a cannon, you need a ramrod. Yeah, a ramrod. It was a big stick with like a sponge on the end of it. You'd put the, the powder in the barrel, push it down with the ramrod. You then took the projectile, put it in the barrel, pushed it down with the ramrod. For some reason, they forgot to take it out. So that went firing, and they couldn't load the gun anymore. Oops. Minor mistake. Minor mistake, yeah. I don't even know how that happens. Because the there's six people working on the cannon. One person's job is to man the man the the, the, the ramrod. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I've, I've only ever seen it 
the cannon fire prematurely, like during the Civil War, and then people's hands being blown off because they're still on the ramrod. That's a bad. That's a bad deal. Though. But I've never, I've never bad heard of day. it going downrange. So the harbor defenses had been reinforced, and the attackers were temporarily halted. That, however, had weakened the defenses elsewhere and allowed the Arab mercenaries to wrap a uh, ride. Not wrap. They're not like singing. <laughs> lyrical things, ride unimposed into the western sanction of the city. Eaton's mercenary army was hesitant under the enemy's musket fire, and he realized that a charge was the only way to regain the initiative. Leading the charge, he was seriously wounded in the wrist by a musket ball. On the Argus, Captain Hall saw the Americans and mercenaries were gaining ground very fast through a heavy fire of musketry, uh, was constantly kept upon them. The ship ceased fire to allow the charge to continue. Eaton would report that O'Bannon with the Marines and Greeks passed through a shower of musketry from the walls of houses and took position, uh, possession of the battery. The defenders fled in haste and left their cannons loaded and ready to fire. O'Bannon raised the American flag on the battery and turned the cannons on the city. Hammett's forces seized the governor's palace and secured the western part of the city. Many of the defenders of the harbor fortress fled through the town and ran into Hammett's forces. By 4 p.m., the entire city had fallen, and for the first time in history, an American flag flew over fortifications on the opposite side of the Atlantic. Eaton now planned on attacking Tripoli, but then was told to go back to Egypt because a peace treaty was just signed. (laughs) So he's just like, man, I just did all this for nothing. It's a good precursor to the War of 1812. Very good precursor. March 50 miles Take a city. 500 to, miles. 500 miles. 500 miles. March 500 miles. Take a city. Get told to go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. William Eaton returned a hero to the United States. The Battle of Derna was the U.S. Marines' first battle and U.S. flag raising on a foreign soil. It is notably recalled on the first verse of the Marine Corps hymn, From the Halls of Montezuma to the Shores of Tripoli, we fight our country's battles in the air, on land, and sea. Because historically, the role of the Marines was as ships were fighting each other, they would jump from their ship to another and try to take it over. They weren't very, they weren't used for land battles. So part of the peace treaty would state, the Bashaw Tripoli shall deliver up to the American squadron now off Tripoli, all the Americans in its possession, all the subjects of the Bashaw Tripoli now in the power of the United States of America shall be delivered up to him. And as the number of Americans in possession of the Bashaw Tripoli amounts to 300 persons, more or less, the number of Tripolino subjects in the power of the Americans to about 100 more or less. The Bashaw of Tripoli shall receive from the United States of America the sum of $60,000 as payment for the difference between the prisoners herein mentioned. So pretty much there is a, 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 a trade imbalance <laughs> There's more Americans being handed over than there are Tripolians. Ah. So they're like, you got to pay us for that difference. Jefferson's like, fine. I will pay you $60,000 for those American prisoners. Eaton, on the other hand, is livid. He's like, you made me go 500 miles, made me fight this battle, and now we're just paying him anyway. He believed he was sold out and that Derna should have been used as a bargaining chip to not have to pay the ransom at all. Like, all right. The way we pay for this imbalance, we'll give you your city back. (laughs) Furthermore, he believed that the honor of the United States had been compromised because they completely abandoned Hammett. 
They just they, left them in Derna. They just left them there. <laughs> oh, bad luck. So the first Barbary War was beneficial to the reputation of the United States military, um, command, and war mechanism, which had been up to the time relatively untested. It also showed that the United States could execute a war on foreign territory. But by 1807, Algeria was back to taking American ships and their crews hostage. However, the United States is going to be preoccupied by the War of 1812 and can't do anything until 1850. Because the War of 1812 was such a great idea. It was an amazing idea. Dumbest thing ever. <laughs> Go listen to the episode. Go listen to the episode. Part on one why, two. why the War of 1812 was dumb. All right. So then you get the Second Barbary War. So after the War of 1812, which is actually in 1815, the United States government decides, you know what? We're going to build a big Mediterranean fleet and we're we're going to deal with the Barbary pirates again. We're, we're going to take them out once and for all. So they have a big fleet and they put Stephen Decatur in charge of it. So they depart New York on the 15th of May, 1814. Just takes them a while to get there. In June, Decatur encountered a flagship of the Algerian fleet off the coast of Gibraltar, and he easily defeats it. Um, on June 28th, the American fleet will arrive in Algiers. Decatur demanded an end to the tribute, freedom for all American prisoners, and a payment of $10,000. Um, the Bay of Algiers tried to buy time, but the USS Independence, a ship of the line, positioned itself off the coast of Algiers. While uh, Decatur advanced on Tripoli and Tunis, the Barbary states were forced to agree to all the American demands. Uh, those demands included the release of all hostages, the opening of Algerian ports to American ships, the ending of any further piracy, and a payment of $10,000. All in all, Decatur's fleet had defeated 29 different Barbary ships, and they kind of realized, yeah. We're kind of good at this. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. So the fleet returned to the United States in triumph, and from the, that moment on, America was an emergent world power and didn't have to deal with the Barbary pirates anymore. Nice. And that is the Barbary Wars, America's first foreign conflict. He's pretty good in that second half. <laughs> second one went a lot better than the first one. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for listening.